Stephanie Contrahera, licensed professional counselor. And today I have with me Carla Diagostino Vigil. So can you please go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us more about your uh, specialties? Sure. So thanks for having me on. My name is Carla. I run a group practice in Westminster called Ignite Counseling Colorado. And we specialize in the treatment for adults for um, obsessive compulsive disorder, trauma, and substance use concerns. And I am also co-founder of Modern Therapist Training Collective with my veritable colleague, Lori Johnson. Um, And she's in Lakewood. I'm in Westminster. and, And we have kind of come together on topics related to training our fellow clinicians on assessment and treatment of OCD. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, I've actually had my uh, clinicians take some of your trainings and I, I thought they're really helpful since my background's not an OCD. So I already can say I vouch for the resource and people should definitely check it out. Thank you so much. Yes. It's been wonderful. Great. So I wanted to kind of dive into our topic today, which is OCD and cultural competency. So yeah, I guess I'll just have you start off with why this is important to you and why you've kind of like dipped your toes or maybe even grabbed a whole handful of this uh, topic. Yeah. So I will first say that I will never profess to know everything there is to know about cultural competency. I think one thing that has come up over the past couple of years has been elevating the the conversation around ethnicity, race relations. Uh, certainly, if you have watched the news, um, you, you have seen that kind of play out. And uh, our work in, in treating um, OCD uh, has also been reflected in some of these, the the dialogue going on around cultural competence. Specifically, um, as we have gone into this historic pandemic, the numbers of folks that are coming in for treatment, um, many, many uh, individuals get surprised when we share the statistic that Obsessive compulsive disorder is listed as one of the top 10 mental health disabling conditions by the World Health Organization. Uh, So it's not a small number. Uh, Yeah, it's significant. And it's it's substantial. And uh, it is estimated that 3% of the world's population struggles with obsessive compulsive disorder. And as we have gone through the past few years with the pandemic, with the surge in a mental health crisis, uh, we have seen an influx of folks coming in or seeking services, which on one hand, hooray for our progress against fighting the stigma of seeking mental health support. That's fantastic to see. And Lori and I have recognize that there is a real lack of training and development for us clinicians when it comes to competently treating. 
And part of that competence includes the conversation around cultural considerations. Um, when we have done our, our most recent training on this topic, we were pulling statistics. And I, as I was pulling my research, I was getting more and more frustrated looking at the numbers. And I think oh, that no. that's indicative of where we're at. Yeah, we've got work to do. Um, I, you know, I think there, as someone who has uh, also for the past um three years or so, I have been a Medicaid provider. That is going to be changing for topics for another day. Uh, <laughs> but as that is changing, as I have been looking at the Medicaid data, there is a there's assumptions and stigma even with those that receive public benefit. I pulled the statistics because I was curious at checking my bias. And in 2019, because the data does lag a bit. So you can imagine now that we're in a historic pandemic, this is pre-pandemic numbers. 80% mm -hmm. of Colorado Medicaid recipients identified as white or multiracial, 80%. And only 27% 20, identified as, uh, excuse me, 8 eight and a half percent identified as Latinx and 4.3% as black. Yeah. I'm curious how that's reflective of the overall population too. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. just curious. I don't know if you know those numbers too or not, but. Yeah. So when we look at those that are struggling with poverty, those that struggle with access just in general. So um, some of the other interesting stats that we pulled were around um, the, the pandemic and access to technology. So we have this grand assumption that, oh, the clients that are coming in, they can hook up to Wi-Fi. They have a smartphone. The statistic was around 30% of individuals that were seeking mental health care do not have access to broadband or Wi-Fi or smartphone. Wow. That's over a quarter. Um, that's not a small number. Um, and looking at, you know, we, we can see kind of incidentally the numbers of where unemployment is and unemployment does correlate with, with seeking, you know, uh, a public assistance like a Medicaid. So uh, I think that the number that I looked at last was that 28% of our Colorado populations on Medicaid. Also not a small number. One in four? Over one yeah, in that's four? That's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and so when Lori and I looked at this topic of how do we check our privilege, how do we check our intrinsic bias around this, and we are serving um, this population, and also we're trying to provide competent training to our colleagues, we want to have this conversation as well. So when we look at some of the gold standard for how we treat OCD, which is exposure and response prevention, we even see cultural lack lacking when we look at, say, some of our assessment tools. The research is very white-centric. There is a subtype of OCD around 
sexual orientation, which assumes heterosexuality, Mm. you know? So those are the way the language is written in some of these assessments. And if we are considering ourselves an ally in our community, how do we, how do we pay really close attention? How do we modify those to be current? You know, if that, if that assessment tool was built in 1978 and here we are trying to, to have a competent, a culturally aware conversation with a client, we really want to preview those and, and check the fact that there are some limitations in both the historical research um, and some of the assessment tools that we use. Yeah, I'm curious if I imagine this has to be a conversation on like the larger stage of people who are researchers in the OCD kind of community. If the assessment tool that you all, you know, is like maybe the gold standard of assessment tools was created in this the seventies, like so much has changed between, you know, then and, and now in our society. Yeah, I I would like to say that, yes, this has a really big spotlight on it and and there's loads of funding for for integrating a a more culturally competent, comprehensive um, way in which we treat this this top 10 by the World Health Organization conditions. But there really isn't. Um, And so. You know, I think that's where Lori and I have done more of that grassroots of, well, we're going to start with our little corner of the world. We're going to we're going to be able to first serve our folks here in Colorado um, with quality and competent training and um, and some consulting and supervising opportunities. And, you know, I think continuing this conversation of. This is just the reality of some of these limitations, but we can do better. We can we can elevate it by the way in which we talk about it. Um, as clinical supervisors, it's you know identifying where those those biases might be in, in your in yourself as a supervisor, making sure that's part of the conversation with your supervisees as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I'm not as aware of this topic, so I'm just going to ask you questions that are kind of like coming to my brain here as we're discussing. I'm curious how different cultures might have OCD show up differently than I imagine a lot of these studies were done on white males, even in the seventies. So how does it look differently, even like men and women, and then also across cultures too? Yeah. Um, so there are some interesting elements there around how it translates across cultures. Um, what we do know is uh, some some kind of fundamental pieces about OCD that transcend uh, ethnicity, culture, um, and that is one that it tends to be evenly uh, distributed ac- across uh, gender when we look at binary gender. Again, lacking research on uh, more, you know, um, modern views of how we we view gender, uh, but it consistently shows up pretty equally. Uh, secondly, there is a strong genetic component to OCD. Uh, there's some fantastic information and research done about 
um, issues with glutamate in the brain of those that struggle with OCD. Um, and so that is something, and, and you will see it follow a family line. So usually when we are doing that biopsychosocial history discussion, we, we are incorporating hopefully some cultural awareness when we're asking, you know, if we hear some of those key words like, oh yeah, you know, Aunt, Aunt Judy, she was really wacky. She, she loved to, you know, hoard magazines for 40 years or, oh, you know, Uncle Joe was just, he always had to have things just right. So some of those conversations include a cultural question around how, how are family relations considered? How are teachings, you know, really being aware of one's, um, in, in certain cultures, their spiritual center, their religious center is extremely important. Um, and um, in particular, we see with um, certain cultures, the, the barrier of, um, well, we view, I've, or we view OCD as demonic possession something that should be taken care of within within my church community. So not overlooking those discussions of what part does your faith play in this? What part does your family system play into this? Um, and not making any assumptions. So there's definitely a cultural piece there um, that can, you know, for a white centric uh, body of research, it may otherwise look like even a different mental health diagnosis and might have OCD overlooked. So I think putting that in perspective, even from the outset and having the conversation and, and then falling on some of those fundamentals that transcend culture and, and um, you know, the things like tends to be equally distributed. It does, um, you know, tend to, be genetic component. So there's, there is that lineage that you can kind of trace back. Um, and then also the amount of misdiagnosis that happens. The t- statistic is 14 years, 14 years to find a therapist that knows, oh, this is not this. <laughs> this is not generalized anxiety disorder. This is OCD. And here's how we treat OCD. Yeah, this is kind of a a tangent to that, but I also wonder how normalized perhaps OCD can become in a side of family um, if it is um, genetic and how generation after generation, oh, that's what we all do, right? Or that's just like normal. Oh, yeah. That component. And also if it takes 14 years, which is not a great statistic at all, (laughs) to find out that someone actually has OCD, how many clients are actually in treatment long enough to discover that that's what's happening? Right? Like I imagine a lot of people drop out and then just never get the treatment that they they need. Yes, most definitely. What you're pointing to is that it, it as part of being a culturally competent therapist in treating this, it does require an understanding and an honoring of that support system and family system around the client. 
Because just like you said, there is so much potential for um, uh, being complicit or enabling the person uh, when it's, say, your child. <laughs> and you struggled with that as well. And, and, and now you're having the spotlight pointed at it and it's, it's embarrassing or it's confusing. Um, or you're seeing your child suffer you know, or your loved one suffer. And so there, there, we would be remiss if we did not talk, have that conversation from a, a cultural competence standpoint of who do you consider in your support system, blood relative or not, who's going to be supportive and in, in your journey with healing from this, because exposure and response prevention therapy is, is no joke. <laughs> hard work. And just like you said, you know, it's, there are some that are like, oh goodness, you know, it's taken me 14 years and now you're having me do what? And you're saying that this is going to make me better. So there's a lot of um, psychoeducation that should go into this conversation, not shying away from looking at the lens of their community of support and those that might prohibit their healing. And, and you can't really therapeutically challenge that without knowing that person's particular culture and where they're coming from. So it's having that conversation and building the rapport first so that you can, you can guide them as part of their healing process in examining, oh, yeah, my parents have been and it's because they don't want to see me suffer, but they're actually not, they're, they're preventing me from getting better. And how do I maneuver that? I'm just trying to get over this. How do I maneuver that as well? Yeah, I'm curious, um, what are some things that you feel like are maybe like red flags that you notice people, uh, other therapists, or maybe just people kind of just being ignorant or not aware um, that are kind of maybe they're doing that is ignoring the cultural competency portion of treating someone with OCD? I think that where I tend to get the most requests for consultation on that it are, are from the therapists that have, have a client. They are kind of plugging along with client and client is stalling out with their traditional, let's say they're, they believe that they have a generalized anxiety disorder. So they're kind of trucking along doing CBT, doing some mindfulness, and it's just not getting better. Um, and so I, I find that those therapists that come to have the conversation are already, they're, they're clued in that something is a miss. And so I think where our biggest risk is, uh, is, is perhaps trying to go quickly to a diagnosis. We know that this is a tricky one that can, sometimes there are dual diagnosis. There, there's a lot of differential diagnosis that goes into making sure we're going down the right path. And I, I do a lot of consultation with, with folks where I talk about the intersection of trauma treatment and OCD treatment, because 
And if you think about it, when they're coming in 14 years, that's the that's the beginning point of the statistic. I've I've had a client that has had severe medical trauma because they were misdiagnosed as being schizophrenic. They were medicated as a schizophrenic. They had some brain injury because of the medication and they have OCD. So mm. for me to not look at the trauma of that would also be, you know, and, and when when we got into doing ERP, there was a huge block because we needed to address the trauma. So I think to your question, it's as a clinician, if you find that there is something that is just, mm, they're stalling out in their progress and you're encountering a lot of resistance from client, that could be in the way of skipping sessions. It could be in the way of even stated, like I just, but I, I still feel, you know, um, then, then that might be a good cue to going back to the drawing board and asking some of those questions of what do you know about OCD? Do you think that that might be something that's going on here? Perhaps we can do an assessment together. I'm not an OCD expert and we have this tool that we can all use to at least get an idea of this, if this is part of the picture. So the why box is something we all have access to as therapists, the Yale Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale. And that can give you just a, a one page snapshot of what might be going on. Um, and if you are still feeling squeamish after you look at that tool and you can literally Google it and find it, you know, it's um, public domain, I believe. So if you find it and you're like, uh, you know, reach, reach out to uh, a clinician like me or Lori um, so that we can really help you. You know, we're really passionate about not wanting to do additional harm um, and trying to elevate and advance the way in which we confidently treat these folks. Yeah, I'm curious, let's say a therapist does this why box and then they're trying to talk to their clients about the need for, for ERP. Is there cultural considerations going into having that conversation that maybe the therapist really needs to be aware of how talking to their client um, about this could be helpful for people to know? Yes. I think the conversation should begin when you're building rapport. So as you're doing that history taking, hopefully in, in our intake process, we're asking, you know, how, how have you have, how have you grown up understanding mental health? What are your thoughts about um, therapy? How were you raised to think about therapy or mental illness? Do we think about mental health or mental illness? Um, and even starting there, I think that those tend to be the strongest building blocks for by the time we are having those conversations with client of, gosh, you know, you're, you're telling me, or I'm, I'm observing that you're just, there seems to be something else going on here. What do you think that it's already built on a foundation of trust and curiosity of, you know, I want to know what this is like to come in and meet with me, how your family views it, how your partner views it. Um, 
because then you can have the overall conversation from a cultural standpoint of mental health treatment in general. And that can help guide, you know, that individual customized conversation. So if, you know, and there has been, um, I, I've worked with a, a quite a diverse population in this treatment and knowing that there was someone who got raised, who ha- had been raised to believe that, um, that this was a sign of possession um, and that, this was, uh, and there was a really strong religious component of um, blasphemy. And well, when it came time to doing an assessment, I was able to couch that in a way that I, I know we've had these conversations. And so the, when I'm asking these questions, they're likely going to evoke that feeling and that's okay you know, I, I do this, I do this as my profession and there isn't anything you can say that will scare me off. And there is zero judgment in here. The more honest you can be, the better I can get an idea of what might be going on here. Um, you know, and that's a really gentle way. And also honoring, I was listening when we had this really, you know, tender conversation about how you were brought up and, and how much bravery you had to gather in order to even come in here and, you know, or how your partner thinks that you've, you've gone mad and you need to be institutionalized and you're just, you're here to, to get a a support. Yeah. I I imagine depending on, I know there's a bunch of different types of um, OCD, I guess is the best way to describe it. (laughs) I may be missing that. Um, but I remember when I gave someone the Y box um, assessment, even the types of things that were on there kind of surprised me. Um, and I imagine based on either family culture or just like, you know, their culture alone, like answering some of those questions can be really off putting. Like there's some on religion and there's some on like sexual um, preferences and like kind of uh, aversions and things like that. And I imagine mm-hmm. that probably, I mean, I'm sure other sections too, but those two specifically like stuck out of for me of like, Ooh, these are probably like really sensitive questions for someone to be asking um, their client and yes. having more awareness about how that impacts like their culture could be really helpful. Yes, it is a very evocative, very direct, and as I mentioned earlier, somewhat outdated, um, not culturally sensitive, some of those questions. Yes, you're right. There are, um, there are several subtypes of OCD. Um, and usually when I am doing, you know, in addition to all that I just described with building trust and rapport and, and showing awareness of what their personal story is, their personal culture. When I'm doing that assessment, I will pause before those segments. And sometimes I'll do it even before. This assessment is a doozy. It's very personal. And I can assure you, I have heard it all. I have seen it all. Uh, Nothing you will share here will scare me off. And you are absolutely in the driver's seat. If you say I'm uncomfortable answering that, 
no problem. You know, in particular with those, the subtype around sexual, you know, um, sexual orientation, uh, POCD, which is pedophilic OCD, there is so much shame. There's so much fear that it is not uncommon to have the person say, no, I'm not having those. And then come back after they've sat on it and after they see that you are a safe professional, will come back and say, you know, this too, this too is going on and I'm suffering so much. I need help. I need help in navigating these awful thoughts. Yeah, so I'm curious, are there any final takeaways that you want to share with our audience or perhaps different places that people can find you so they can access your wealth of knowledge and also tap Lori Johnson, who was on an earlier podcast, um, knowledge as well? Yeah, well, we have the Modern Therapist Training Collective. So that's, that is the, the name of the website. Um, and therapists can go on there. They can, um, we've tried to set it up to make it really accessible. Um, we have now a series of trainings that we, we have posted on there, um, at hopefully really affordable rates for folks to just understand more of this really needed population. Um, so modern therapist training collective.com will have a lot of those self-guided can do them. When you, when you have the time and then following those trainings, Lori and I have launched a consultation group where you can pop in, ask about a case, get support in that way. Um, so group consultation, then we also offer supervision. Um, so there's lots of ways to get support in that way. Um, folks are, I'm, I love answering questions about this. I'm passionate about serving this population. So Folks can reach out directly to me um, if they'd like. That's Carla at IgniteCounselingColorado.com or my website, IgniteCounselingColorado.com. I try and try and put information on there on these topics that can be relevant to those suffering from OCD and also those of us that are trying to help serve that population. Final, final words. I think I am excited when our colleagues show interest in just learning it. And I know that so for so many of us, we're at the point in the pandemic where we're like, we are crispy. We can't do more training. So I do get a a lot of colleagues saying, I am not ready to be an ERP expert, but I want to know how to competently spot it, assess it and refer out. So I, I would say a final thought there is don't think that you know, these resources are only if you want to just do a deep dive and become an expert. There are ways for all of us, even if you need a a way to confidently refer out where you can get that support as well. Yeah, I definitely think it's really important to be able to recognize the, the symptoms. I've had several clients that I've had to refer out um, when I originally thought, oh, it's anxiety. Um, <laughs> and it turns out it was much different than that. And the treatment is much different than that. So definitely having um, great resources like you and Lori to refer to is super important. And if you're not in the Denver area, hopefully you can find other people in your area 
that also are experts in OCD because it definitely takes a very specific type of treatment, I think, to really um, help those people that suffer from OCD um, live a more fulfilling life. Yes. And I think that that is also part of our vision with the Modern Therapist Training Collective is that those resources, the trainings, even hopping on to consultation, we're trying to make accessible. So we've had folks come in from across the country for consultation, which is really cool to see. And part of being culturally competent means we're trying to get that training to our rural communities, to those that may not have a huge colleagueship like we have the benefit of here in the Denver area. Well, thank you so much um, for being on today. And I hope everyone feels like they walked away with some knowledge, whether you're a therapist or, you know, a person just interested in mental health. So I really appreciate uh, you being on today, Carla. Thank you so much.